Guys, since one church started back in 2007, we have seen over 450 people get baptized here at this church. And uh, I am, when I watch that video and I see so many of you guys' faces, um, I'm just reminded of what is really important to us. Uh, what we are, what are some of the hills that we're wanting to die on. In fact, we're in a series entitled, A Hill to Die On, where we've been talking about what is the essential essentials of our faith. What is the essence of Christianity? And we've been asking this clarifying question, uh, what is essential to believe in order to come to faith in Jesus? Today, uh, because of the video, we're actually going to be talking about baptism and, um, and how a lot of churches, a lot of different denominations uh, have a lot of different opinions on baptism. Uh, I'm going to explain the reason why we do baptism the way that we do here at One Church. Um, but I can promise you, whatever denomination, whatever group of churches maybe you come from, I'm going to tick off everybody today. Because I feel like when it comes to baptism, um, many times whatever church, whatever denomination you came uh, up through is really what has determined whether or not you think baptism and doing it this way or that way is biblical. And what we're going to be looking at today is not in traditions, not in what denominations have done, not even in what churches have done, but what the Bible has to say about baptism. Because really, in the end of the day, it doesn't matter people's opinions, it doesn't matter uh, church traditions, what matters is what the Bible says, because it is our authority. So we're going to be asking and answering some questions today of why many times churches do uh, some specific things and why some churches don't. And let me just kind of give you a couple of those things that we're going to be talking about because a lot of this stuff aren't going to be hills that we're going to die on. Um, And I'm going to make that very clear uh, to you today. Um, This uh, Friday at the night of worship, we're going to be talking about the hill that we need to die on, that that is the essential, the core of Christianity. But uh, whether we talked about faith in politics last week or baptism, these are kind of superfluous issues. I think I just made that word up, by the way. Um, So let's let's, uh, uh, look at some of these things. Why do some churches baptize infants and other churches baptize adults and children? We're going to be looking at that today. Here's another one. Why do churches uh, put you in a tank and dunk you while others sprinkle water on you? Some denominations teach something called baptismal regeneration. And what it simply means is that unless you get baptized, you don't get to heaven. And is that true? And uh, do you have to get baptized in order to get to heaven? Some churches said that only a pastor or a priest can baptize you. Um, that it has to be a certain person that baptizes you. The church and denomination that I grew up in says that unless you get baptized by immersion, by the way, that's dunking, and unless you're baptized in that denomination, denominational church, then the baptism didn't take, and you need to be rebaptized. And we're going to be looking at all of this as kind of jacked up. That uh, no matter what background you come from, that we have to always get back to God's word. Because God's word is our authority. Uh, these various opinions and these ideas about baptism, uh, which ones are right and which ones are they really a hill to die on? And some of you, you, you were kind of not, not raised in any faith. So the whole idea of getting like dunked in front of a bunch of people just seems a little weird. 
And I just want to acknowledge that. It is a little weird. And today, we're going to be looking and we're going to be asking a lot of questions, but the first one is simply this. Why should we get baptized? Why should we get baptized? The reason why baptism is important is that when you read the New Testament, you'll see that every time a person put their faith in Jesus, anytime somebody has an aha moment about Jesus, that they were baptized afterwards, following their faith, following their salvation, following their decision to get serious about following Jesus, they did this kind of weird thing called baptism. Jesus, at the end of his ministry, said this. These were some of his last words in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says this, Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, that's kind of a churchy word. Let me kind of give you the Greek, and I'll kind of unpack it. Disciple, the Greek word is mathetes, and it literally means learner. So what Jesus is saying is, I want you to go and get people to follow me. I want you to teach them and so that they can follow me. So go and make disciples of all the nations. I like this because it just doesn't say, don't keep it to a specific people group or a specific color or a specific race or socioeconomic background. You are to go and make disciples of everybody. And then he gets real specific, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, some of you, when, if you got baptized, you were probably baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's where that comes from. So Jesus commands us as a church and as Christians to baptize people who decide to become his followers. So get this, nowhere in scripture does it say that a preacher or a pastor or a priest has to baptize you and that's debunking the, 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 the first myth. Here's the truth. Anyone can baptize. Anyone can baptize. Uh, again, you saw all of those pictures, and some of those pictures I were baptizing, and some of those pictures other staff was baptizing. Uh, in some of those pictures, you had uh, parents baptizing their kids, some where the kids were baptizing their parents, others where uh, a spouse was baptizing their other spouse. Other ones, you have people, maybe a small group leader or somebody who played a significant role in their faith journey was in the process of baptizing them. But nowhere does it say that a priest or a pastor has to be the one to baptize anyone. That's just something that we've kind of made up along the way. So, but, okay, so that's why we baptize, because Jesus gave us that example in Matthew 20 and 19. But really, what is baptism? What is baptism? All right? Here's our def definition of baptism, and this is also our big idea today. It says this, that baptizing is identifying... Baptizing is identifying with Jesus. Uh, I'm gonna, let me give you a few word pictures that may kind of explain some of this. Um, it's March, so what's happening in the month of March? March Madness, exactly right. In fact, I got some good friends who get crazy when it comes to basketball. I've never been really good at basketball. A friend of mine, we played 21, and they spotted me 20 points with no make it, take it, and I still lost. So um, I've never enjoyed basketball. Uh, I got a good friend who, uh, man, he loves he loves Purdue, um, and I got another good friend who loves Duke, and uh, and uh, yeah, I think I know exactly who that is. Anyway, my point is, I mean, during March Madness, you know who people are rooting for because they wear jerseys and they like paint their stomachs and they go to games and they have those little foam fing fingers like Molly Cyrus. Um, is that in my notes? I don't think that's in my notes. Stick to the notes, all right? And, but you never have to worry about, 
or wonder about who they're rooting for because the jersey gives it away. In a lot of ways, baptism is kind of the jersey for Christians. It's, it's the way that they kind of say, okay, I am, I am with this team. In fact, and if you're actually playing a team sport, if you're on the actual, you know, uh, on, you know, the grass, if you're playing football, if you're on the, uh, the gym, gymnasium floor, if you're playing basketball, how important is it that you wear the right jersey? It's very important. Because it determines who, well, who you're, what team you're playing for. In fact, some of you remember before Peyton Manning retired, uh, about five years ago, he decided to go from the, Indian, the, the Colts uh, to the Broncos. And um, he signed this $95 million five-year deal, uh, and of course the rest is history. Um, but as you can tell, they always kind of hold up their jersey, and he's holding up number 18, and he's saying this, he's saying, I am identifying with the Broncos. In fact, if I go and I play against the Colts, my old team, uh, here's what, I'm not going to be going for the Colts. I'm not going to be playing for the Colts. I'm, I'm playing for the Broncos. This is the team that I am identifying with. That baptism, baptizing is, is identifying with Jesus. Or let's talk about a soldier. A soldier in their uniform. Here is um, Lieutenant Colonel Evans. He's speaking to some soldiers of the Iron Rockasines. Anybody from the Rockasines here? This morning, okay? Uh, there you go. All right, I'm, I'm awake. What, what happened? So anyway, uh, and, and here's what's happened. How important is it for you? Uh, 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 I mean, how important are soldiers' uniforms? They're very important. They're very important. Because that's where you see rank, and that's where, I mean, I mean you, you just, it's, it's, so, it's so important. That rank that's on your chest and who you respect, who you salute. In fact, how important is uniforms when you're downrange? It's very, very important. Just ask General Stonewall Jackson. Uh, if, you're, if you like history, uh, and I love history, in Civil War, uh, General uh, Stonewall Jackson, um, he was mistakenly uh, thought that, that he was a Union soldier at night, and it was dusk, and he uh, came into some friendly fire, and he was shot. His, uh, got, his arm got infected because of it. He eventually lost his arm, and because of that, he eventually lost his life. And to this day, if you read all the biographies about it, General Lee, Robert E. Lee, said the reason why he lost Gettysburg... not you are saluted or if you're shot um and it's that's a that's kind of a big deal now uh, let me give you another word picture um how many of y'all you're married can you raise your left hands okay what's on your left finger in your left hand is when you chose to marry your spouse you picked out rings together, and when you said, I do, you put the ring on your finger after you made the decision to marry her or to marry him. And see, that just as you're identified now as married, that when you get baptized, you are now identified with Jesus Christ. You know, what if I had told Kim 22 years ago, listen, I'll marry you, but I'm not going to wear your ring because I don't want anybody to know about it. Do you think she would have married me? No. In fact, she would have cut me. She would have, right? But yet, I'm telling you, how many of us would say, you know what, okay, I'm a Christian, but let's keep that on the down low. I really don't want to go public, and I don't want everybody to know about it. 
I, I, that's what we're going to be talking about today because baptizing is identifying with Jesus. And let, now, here's the problem is because what is baptism? Because it's kind of like a weird word. In fact, it's a word um, that is, isn't even translated. When you look in the Greek, uh, you look at the word and it's baptizo. Let's say that together. Baptizo. And what they chose to do was when they were making the English translations of it, they didn't really translate it. They transliterated it. That just means they took that Greek word and they kind of made it into an English word. But, as we're going to look at today, the word baptism never ever was a religious word in the first century. Um, In fact, the word to baptize means to immerse, to dunk, to put under. Um, it, It was the same word that was used when somebody took cloth and they would put it in dye and they would dye the cloth. And when you do that, when you set that, that white cloth in that dye, what happens to it? What was used to be a white cloth is now blue. You see, it's changed its identity. It's no longer white. It's blue. So, that same word, baptizo, was used by a guy by the name of Macander about 200 years before Jesus, and he wrote a, he was evidently known, well known for a pickle recipe. And he said in the recipe, you have to take the cucumbers and baptizo them in vinegar. That means dunk, immerse, and, and, and it sets in there. And what happens when a cucumber is marinated in vinegar? It is no longer a cucumber anymore, is it? It is a what? Pickle. It has changed its identity. That just as the white cloth has now changed to blue, just as the cucumber has now changed to a pickle, that what baptism is, is identifying with Jesus. And throughout the past 20 centuries, men and women, thousands of men and women, have come to faith in Jesus Christ and afterwards have gotten baptized because they, they, wanted to, they chose to identify with Jesus. This is what Acts 2.41 says this. Those who believed, everybody say believed. Those who believed were what? Baptized and added to the church about 3,000 in all. In Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts, his first and his greatest sermon, that he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people believed and then they were baptized. They were baptized. So let me just say this. Some of you, you're like, okay, what's important? Is it dunking or is it sprinkling? That's not a hill I'm going to die on. I think what is important is that you go public with your faith. Uh, how many of y'all, you have uh, silver wedding bands? Let me see your hands. All right? How many of y'all have gold wedding bands? Let me see your hands. All right, cool. Uh, it's, it, which one's right? Well, they're not. I mean, it's just a wedding band. It, it's, it's you going public with the love for your spouse. And I think that's kind of how it is when it comes to baptism. Now, I believe the word baptism literally means to dunk, but that's not something I'm going to fight about with anybody. I don't think it's that important, right? So some of you, if you grew up in a different denomination and you, after you came to faith in Jesus Christ, they sprinkled you, great, you were sprinkled. My question is, did it happen after you began a relationship with Jesus? Now, I'll be honest with you, some of you, and I think this is important, um, like I, when I was eight years old, I went down front and a uh, pastor pr- you know, prayed with me for like two seconds, and they said, pray this prayer, and I did, and, and okay, great, you're a Christian, and now I got baptized, but nothing really changed on the inside. And I don't think I really was baptized that day, I just took a bath in front of a few hundred people. 
And literally, the last time I was preaching about baptism, here on this stage, baptism here on this stage, I felt like God was convicting me, Chris, you got to do this right. And I'll never forget, you know, coming off stage, and I was like, okay, I need to get baptized. And I remember my son, Walt, who was, he was probably 10 years old at the time, 12 years old. He says, Dad, isn't that going to be kind of embarrassing? you the pastor of the church and you're getting baptized. And I'm like, Walt, you know what's really embarrassing? is when God tells you to do something, you don't do it. And some of you, like, you got baptized earlier and then you made a faith decision and, and you began a relationship with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, you need to be baptized. Now, let's talk about this. What is the whole thing, if that's the way it is, if baptism always in the Bible followed after you've made a decision, again, those who believe, go back if you would, those who believe, go, thank you. Anybody want to interpret? Anyway, those who believed were baptized, if baptism always comes after you believe, then why do some churches and some denominations push baptism all the way up to the front and start baptizing babies? Here's the truth. The Bible never speaks of baptizing infants. It gives us no examples. It never tells us to baptize children. And again, if the Bible is our authority, then why, why do churches do this? Let me say this. Here's the reason why. is because in the 5th and 6th centuries, 500 600 A.D., the infant mortality rate was crazy high. One out of every three children did not make it to the age of five. And the church thought, hey, listen, if we get them baptized, we get them in heaven. So let's baptize them early, and then if something happens, they're good. Which kind of begs the question, that whole presupposition is kind of flawed. Now, before I I talk about this, let me say this. Some of you were baptized as an infant, and I'm not trying to cheapen your experience. I'm not. But just know that the Bible never, ever speaks of getting baptized as an infant. I would say this. Maybe your, uh, your parents used it as a way to dedicate you to God. Okay, let's call that what it is, dedicating you to God. But baptism didn't save you. Every time we go into the scriptures, baptism always happens, always, always happens after somebody makes a faith decision. And when you're eight years old, you can't make any decision except do I want to cry or do I want to use the bathroom? That's pretty much it right? So I'm not cheapening your experience. I'm not. But if that is saying, okay, that's the only baptism that's happened, I would say if you've made a faith decision since then, you need to be baptized just like I was, just like I was. Just, okay, let's baptize the baby so we can get him to heaven. That goes to this question, does baptism save you? And the answer is no. There is a denomination that says unless you're baptized, you're not saved. And that that denominational belief is wrong. Because God and the Bible never, ever says that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, not of anything of ourselves, so that we can't boast about it. And let me give you another one. Jesus, you know, he was baptized and it had nothing to do with forgiveness of sins because he had no sin. Let me give you another example. The whole idea of the, the, the thief on the cross. You know, there was this guy on the cross who was dying right next to Jesus who was such a bad guy that the only thing Rome knew how to do that we can't deal with you, so we're going to kill you. So they induced capital punishment, and as he is dying beside Jesus, he recognizes who Jesus is. 
that Jesus is the Son of God, and he says, Jesus, remember me. And this is what Jesus says. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus makes this incredible statement, where I am going, you are going. Uh, Excuse me, what about baptism? (laughs) Guys, I just go with Jesus. Right? He's the only person who ever like got up from the grave who's alive today. So if you want to disagree with Jesus, that's your issue. I'm going with the guy who is still living. Okay? So, I mean, th- this criminal couldn't rededicate, couldn't commit, couldn't do anything, couldn't get baptized, and that's the whole point of it. You don't get to heaven because you got better or tried harder. He had no opportunity to do anything good, and, and he had no opportunity to get baptized. And that really is the essence of the Christian message. That it's not about trying harder. It isn't even about baptism. It is about an idea of belief. Remember, Acts 2.41, those who believed were baptized. The only way you can become a Christian, that means the only way you can have a relationship with God, is to get the grips and to come to this grip that, you know what, you are a sinner, and that the only way you can receive forgiveness is by trusting Jesus to be your forgiver. In fact, we looked at these verses last week, but 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 says this. And this is what God has said. He has given us, given us eternal life. How do you get eternal life? And this life is by getting baptized. Is that what it says? This life is in his who? Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life, period. And it isn't about baptism. So if, if baptism does save you, then why get Baptize. Let's go back to our big idea today. Baptizing is identifying with Jesus. If I could cha- even change identifying, baptizing is advertising Jesus. It's saying, God, I am on Jesus' team. I, just as we, uh, we hang up, you know, we hold up those jerseys, and I'm on this team or that team, that I am on Jesus' team. When a soldier decides to be a part of an army, that's a decision that he or she has made. And after that, she makes that decision, or he makes that decision, they get a uniform. When somebody decides to, and it gets it drafted onto a team, they get a uniform. When somebody decides to get married, they put on a ring. And they wear that ring to let everybody know that they are identifying as a person who's being married. So quick question. If a soldier isn't in uniform, is he still a soldier? Uh, Before Peyton retired, if he was just walking around Denver without his Broncos jersey on, was he still a part of the Denver Broncos? Yes. If you accidentally forgot your wedding ring today, are you still married? You better be, right? Your spouse is going, oh no, he didn't. Right? You're still married to me, right? You see, so baptism is putting on a jersey, putting on the ring, and saying, I am going public with my relationship with Jesus. So why not do that? You know, I want to close by giving you an example in the book of Acts of how a person actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a spiritual faith journey, if you will, that some of you here today are on. And wherever you're at in this journey, as we kind of wrap up today, I just want to ask you this question, where are you at as we end this? Where are you at in this story? Because I think all of us can see either us as Philip or us as this Ethiopian. Let's look at it. What happens is Jesus is crucified, he's buried, he's raised from the dead, and everybody's talking about the guy who beat death. And Philip 
An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And as he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority for the queen of Ethiopia, this eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to what? Worship. This guy was going to worship just like many of you came this morning to church today. He had just got finished going to church. And it says this, he was now returning, seated in his carriage, and I'm sure he was going to the Cracker Barrel trying to beat the Methodist there. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So this influential rich treasurer from Ethiopia is, where where is he at in his spiritual journey? He was at the place where I think many of you are at today. This first stage of beginning a spiritual journey is this one. I'm interested. Hey, I'm interested. This man from Ethiopia was in the process of seeking. He wasn't Jewish, but he had traveled literally hundreds of miles, and it took a long time back then, and to Jerusalem to learn more about the God of the Jews. So intense was his quest for spiritual knowledge that even as he was traveling back from church, he was engrossed in reading God's word, the prophet Isaiah. He was a seeker. Why was he seeking God? Answer, I don't know. I don't know. But I suspect he was probably seeking God for some of the same reasons that maybe some of you are seeking God this morning. May it be that he had been wounded by a tragedy that had happened to him. Maybe he lost someone close. Maybe a relationship ended and he was just searching. Maybe he felt no purpose in his life. We know that he had made it to the top of his career ladder. He was the treasurer of the country of Ethiopia. That's rolling in bank, right? And maybe he had come to the point of, you know what, all of this money and all of this power really isn't doing it for me. Maybe it's not enough. Maybe he, he, he was just, he felt empty. And maybe he wanted to find more meaning and purpose in life. Whatever the reason, stage one on the spiritual journey was seeking. So I'm interested. He was interested in spiritual things. And let me say this before I move on. Did you know that one-third of the population in Montgomery County, Clarksville, Hopkinsville, Fort Campbell, that one out of every three people are open to spiritual things? Because maybe they've had a, a move, maybe it's a, a, new, a new job, a new relationship, a new year, a new child. Maybe they're experiencing the death of a dream, maybe a, the death of a relationship. Maybe they've had some tr- t- tremendous loss in their life. But they're asking spiritual questions, one out of every three. The question is, what will you do about it? Let's look at the next, uh, next stage of this spiritual journey. And the next one is this, I'm listening. I'm listening. This is what the next verse says. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of Isaiah, and the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go and walk over beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet of Isaiah, and Philip, but let me just say this. Go back if you would. God, one more verse. God's kind of whispering, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go. Some of you are like, okay, I don't think God's ever really speaking to me like that. And what does that sound like? What does that look like? I think the Holy Spirit kind of sometimes is like a voice, maybe your conscience speaking to you. And notice what the Holy Spirit says. Go over and walk along beside the carriage. I want you to go and tell that person about Jesus. Now, some of you, that happens. You're like, I don't know if God's telling me that. Let me tell you, Satan has never told you to tell somebody about Jesus. Right? <laughs> So if you feel like that God's leading you towards that, know that it is God. 
right? It is God. And by the way, what was Philip's response? Next verse. Philip what? Ran. He ran over. And let me tell you, some of you, God is like nudging you and saying, I want you to ask her, I want you to ask your coworker. I want you to ask your, your aunt or your uncle, I want, to ask, I want you to ask your friend, hey, what are you doing on Easter Sunday? Can I invite you? What are you doing on Saturday? I'd love to invite you to the bunny breakfast. And you're like, but I'm scared. Know this, get this, this is a real statistic. Around Easter time, that 90% of the people that you ask are willing to come to church on Easter. 90%. So uh, you, the odds of you being somebody telling you no is almost zilch. So will you be like Philip and will you run over or run away? Will you step in or will you check out? Now, keep on going. Y'all get me preaching. Now, do you under, it says Philip asked, ran over and says this. Do you understand? Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I, unless somebody instructs me, and he urged Philip to come up and sit in the carriage with him. Notice this. He asked some clarifying questions. Do you understand what you're reading? And then the man responds, and he says, how can I? So this, what, what this passage, uh, is, what this guy from Ethiopia is reading is Isaiah 53, which is all about Jesus. It's kind of cool. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth, and the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, what was the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? You see, this Ethiopian treasurer asked a question. This man could comprehend religious facts, but he didn't understand it. So what did he do? He asked a question. Let me tell you, one of the reasons why, look at this, the one of the reasons I have put my personal cell phone number up here is because I want you asking questions. We don't, we, we want to create a conversation here. So don't, we're not afraid of your questions. And if I don't answer them on stage, I'll answer them off stage. But we want to create a place where you can engage God. We can, you can ask some of these questions at one church. We're not afraid of your questions. Let me say this. God is not afraid of your questions either. He is the person. He is the I am. He is no one created him. He has always been. He's not even having biting his nails saying, I hope they don't ask that one question. He's not doing that. He is willing to ask. In fact, it says that Jesus said this, ask, seek, and knock, and you will find. So you ask God his questions. So beginning with the scriptures, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. The good news in the Greek is called gospel. So when you see the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel, that's the good news told by Matthew. The good news told by Mark. What is the good news? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that leads us to the next stage. I get it. I get it. This is his aha moment. This was the Ethiopian treasure. He finally understood the significance of Jesus. He understood the good news of Jesus, that we are all sinners. And I can imagine Philip kind of speaking into him, hey, listen, you've done some stuff wrong, haven't you? Oh, you betcha. Well, let me tell you, you not only offended other people, you've offended God because he is holy, he is perfect. And sin carries this price where it separates us from the ones that we love. And Jesus, God sent his son Jesus so that he could bridge that separation. Do you want to put your faith in Jesus now? I mean, that's good news. So what did the man from Ethiopia do? Then the last thing is, get this, he owned it. This stage goes beyond information. This goes to saying, okay, I not only believe, but I'm going to do something about it. 
This is the stage of trusting, of deciding to believe, to follow Jesus. And look what it says in these last verses. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I identify myself with Jesus? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip, look at this, baptized him. Now, as we close, I'm going to say this. I'm going to give you three challenges. For some of you, my challenge, the first challenge is this. I want you to be a Philip to somebody. I, we all have people around us who need to hear that Jesus loves them, the good news that God isn't mad at them. And no better time for you to invite somebody to church than on Easter. In fact, we're going to make this crazy easy for you. You can say thank you, Chris. Thank you. All right, is we're going to give you invite cards as soon as you leave here. And we got them kind of grouped in like groups of 20. And, you know, you can just go to your friends and just take those cards and make it rain. All right? You can, you can give them to a waiters or waitresses. Make sure you tip good before you do it. All right? Um, but, I mean, you, I mean you, tell every, you tell everybody that you can. Hey, do you go to church anymore? I'd love to invite you to our church this, this Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. You do that. You see, today is the first day of spring, but let me tell you, you inviting them could be the beginning of a relationship that is the first day of the rest of their life. Spend in eternity. So I'm going to challenge you, be a Philip. Be a Philip to somebody. Take some of these cards and hand them out and give them out. All right? Second, I love this, by the way. Go back. Let me see. All right, you're going to go. Found people, found, find people. Found people, find people. Everybody say that. Found people, find people. If you are found, you will help find other people. All right? Secondly, is I want you to do this. If you have a relationship with Jesus and you haven't been baptized, my question to you is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You know, some of you, you may have gotten baptized earlier, or maybe you just got wet as an infant but you've, you've chosen Jesus Christ as your Savior. What are you waiting for? Go public with your faith. You can see some of us uh, staff or small group leaders uh, at the Next Steps tent. We would love to be able to help you take your next step. And then lastly, it's simply this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, why not? Why not? Why don't you have a relationship? Well, Chris, I got some questions. Okay. I, I am 45 years old. I have been like a Christian most of my life. I've been to seminary. I still have questions. Okay, you got questions. But my question is, why, what are you waiting for? Talk to me afterwards. We, I would love to be able to help answer some of those questions if I can. But really, at the end of the day, after you get some of those questions answered, there's just going to be a point where you're just going to say, okay, I know enough. I am going to choose Jesus. And some of you, you need to do that this morning. So as the band starts playing, I'm just going to give you guys just some time to just spend some time with God this morning. And I'm going to lead you through how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not anything about baptism. It's not a hill we're going to die on. But how you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father is by acknowledging that you can't do it on your own that you have fallen short, that your sins and addictions and habits, they have gotten you to a dead end. That you can't go any farther. And then it's believing that Jesus Christ came to make a way from your dead end. 
that he took all the sin, all the shame, all of the junk. He didn't have any of that. He was perfect. He was sinless. But he died on a cross for you so that you can be with him for eternity. That's it. No church membership, no giving, no baptism, none of that. Those who believed were baptized. So, will you will you believe? Are you ready to believe this morning? And then, once you believe, and once you pray, and once you ask Jesus, remember, found people, they find people. Found people, find people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that we cannot do it on our own. Lord, that we are all sinners. And though we kind of shy away from that word in our culture, in our day, we know that all of us are really messed up. And when we try to do things better, it just gets worse. So God, right now, I'm coming clean to you. And I'm telling you that I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I can't manage my addictions. I can't manage my shame. I can't manage my sin. I need you to come in and take over of my life. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to save me. I'm asking you, Jesus, to remove my sin. And Lord, if you do that, I'm going to go public with my faith. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell everyone that I love you because you first loved me. Thank you for hearing this prayer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you guys to stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing this song, if you need to do some business with God, you're welcome to come down here and, and, and pray. If you want to come and see some staff in the Next Steps tent, we want to be there for you. Let us help you take your next step as you get closer to Jesus Christ.